Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We would love for you to join in our conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you have a question, email or text us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Now here's your host, pastor, author, and Bible teacher, Scott Richards, along with his right-hand man, Sean Richards. Well, a very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you. Welcome to another edition of A Reason for Hope. We are delighted to be with you here today to to, uh, help you join us on our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. And that's where you come in. It's your questions on the Bible that make up the content of each and every edition of A Reason for Hope. So uh, we're looking forward to any question you have about the Word of God, maybe a particular passage or two you'd like to explore, Uh, maybe a uh, passage that has, uh, well, maybe raised more questions for you, or then it's given you answers. Maybe you're coming off of uh, weekend worship services and your pastor got into something you'd like to get a little bit more in-depth on. We welcome those kind of questions and a whole lot more. The events of the day, the events of tomorrow, uh, current controversies that can swirl about us both inside and outside of the Christian faith, all these things and is so much more uh, available and welcomed here on the broadcast. But it all comes down to what you want to talk about. It's your questions that determine the content of each and every edition of A Reason for Hope. So that being the case, uh, Sean, how p- can people get their questions to us? Well, if you'd like to email us your questions, you can do so at questionsforhope at gmail.com. The questions is plural, F-O-R, hope at gmail.com. If you want to clarify or assure proper spelling of that, we'll have it in a banner at the bottom of the screen of any of our three live streaming platforms. Of course, on Facebook, it is Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. YouTube is a reason for hope. And the place where you can actually listen to us without the risk of being taken down is our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, C-A-L-V-A-R-Y, christianfellowship.com. Click on the Watch Live tab at the top of the screen, and you'll be sent to where we are live streaming from 5 to 6 p.m., Mountain Standard Time in the U.S. If you want to know how that translates to your respective time zone, if you aren't listening locally, you can join us there, and we will have a countdown clock to the next broadcast, as well as an access and a means of sending your questions to us for prior broadcasts as well. Also note that if you want to listen to previous broadcasts, YouTube and Facebook are good for that, but we'll provide them on our website. And if for whatever reason we aren't on the usual streaming platforms, note that is what our website is for. We hope that that becomes your regular. But note if you're listening on Reach Radio or one of our radio affiliates, the I guess, uh, website and the tape delay will, of course, remain available for later listening if you want things clarified, or, and this is the most important part, you can still send your questions to us by email. Just make sure that as you're out and on the go, that that is a place where you can engage with us safely. Yes. We got questions on the docket, as well as a brief prophecy update. But before we get into all of that, along with our time and prayer, It's uh, worth noting that today we are celebrating the 21st anniversary of the founding of A Reason for Hope, plus one day. Right. (laughs) 9-11, the very uh, same day, was the first time that Robert Furrow was gracious enough to co-host with you on the first Reason for Hope broadcast. That's right. And it has remained as such available in the meantime. So as, uh, again, the broadcast has engaged with many questions, answering the 
Bible questions that you've been sending to us. The only reason that we, of course, have remained faithful and consistent apart from the Spirit is your participation, so we thank you all for that. Now, let's uh, also thank the one who's kept us going in a spiritual sense and see if you'll continue to do so for one more day. Yeah, by faith, we believe that. Lord, thank you so much for your presence here, and uh, thank you, Father, uh, that uh, even uh, through the years of doing this broadcast and answering all the questions that have been on people's hearts, it is just been wonderful to see how you built people up and encouraged them and blessed them by letting them discover that your word really does have the answers, uh, not only the answers to the tough questions that we might have personally about our lives, but the tough questions about uh, anything that is going on in our lives, anything that is happening all around us. And Lord, our, our prayer as always is that your son, Jesus, would be magnified in what we do on this broadcast, how we answer the questions, even the spirit in which we answer them, Lord. Uh, we pray that we would speak your truth, your whole truth, and nothing but your truth, as you give us the power to do so. But uh, that's the key thing. Without you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, allow this to be a time where you not only give Sean and I the words to say, but uh, everybody that is tuning in, I pray that you would give them ears to hear and a receptive heart to be able to allow your word to change them, transform them. Uh, maybe those on the outside looking in at a relationship with you, coming to know you, uh, those who do know you, coming to know you better. We ask that you would do all of this and so much more in Jesus' name. Amen. That is true. Now, we've got news on the Iranian front, if you will. We've got news about false teachers in the news, and we've got plenty more. But of course, starting with Israel, what's going on in the news? Well, uh, there have uh, been some pretty interesting developments that have taken place in the—it's sort of one of those domino uh, effect kind of situations. Uh, interesting uh, things going on in the conflict— that is happening between uh, Russia and the Ukraine, uh, it does appear that uh, Russia is in a peck of trouble as far as what's going on in the Ukraine right now. So much so uh, that there were a number of articles that ran on the uh, uh, instapundit.com uh, blog and the PJ Media website uh, that indicated that uh, Russia was now having to fend off attacks of the Ukraine that were taking place inside Russian territory. Now, as far as prophecy updates are concerned, uh, wars and rumors of wars, boy, that is a big one because uh, the uh, possibility of this uh, particular conflict escalating in ways that we can't even begin to understand, pretty big time going on with all of that, especially if uh, Ukraine starts, uh, say, sending a, a marauding division inside Russian uh, boundaries, and uh, apparently uh, because so much of uh, the Russian armed forces are committed to uh, trying to maintain their gains within the Ukraine, there wouldn't be a whole lot of, uh, of resistance to all of that. Uh, there's an interesting uh, blog that you can go to called Battle Swarm Blog, uh, that is B-A-T-T-L-E-S-W-A-R-M, uh, where the guy keeps a pretty good uh, uh, handle on what's happening here. But if Russia's territorial boundaries have been breached, a couple things uh, could be in the offing. First of all, uh, a growing number of uh, Russian uh, governmental officials are going public with the idea that uh, Vladimir Putin uh, needs to step down as a result of what's going on in the battle in the Ukraine. So that's uh, getting a bit dicey. Uh, we know that uh, the Russians have completely shut off all of the uh, uh, natural gas that was flowing 
to Europe through the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, it is just uh, first they said, oh, well, we need to do some repairs. Now they've just cut it off. Uh, that could put uh, Western Europe uh, in particular in a real pickle, especially as winter begins to uh, arrive, because most of the countries in Western Europe, Germany, largest among them, uh, have uh, pretty much cut off uh, all but uh, so-called green sources of energies, wind power and solar power. And they are discovering much to their dismay that uh, without uh, natural gas, uh, the idea of keeping homes heated and such is uh, very problematic for them. California is going through a lot of problems right now uh, because they have made such a overwhelming commitment uh, to so-called green energy. And uh, the uh, demand for energy, especially in the case of California during a heat wave, uh, just uh, was overloading their grid. So uh, Western Europe uh, certainly uh, is going to be affected by all of this. Who knows how a guy like Putin might lash out uh, and what uh, forces he will be willing to use uh, as a result of uh, something as outrageous as Ukrainian troops on Russian soil. So keep an eye on that. How that pertains to Israel, as we are fond of telling you, uh, Israel is the epicenter as far as biblical prophecy is concerned, and the proximity of our uh, our lives to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Uh, we look at what's going on in Israel, and uh, we certainly see how these events in the Ukraine with Russia, as we mentioned, have created kind of a domino effect. In what way? Well, as uh, you may know, if you're a regular uh, watcher or listener to our broadcast, uh, we've told you about how Russia has made a huge investment in propping up the Syrian government of Bashar al-Assad. Well, because things are going so intensely badly in the Ukraine, it's looking like Russia is uh, making the call that they can't continue to support Assad and try to take care of business in the Ukraine. So they're transferring large amounts of their church, their, their troops, I should say, out of Syria and uh, redeploying them to try to deal with the worsening situation that is going on in the Ukraine. Now, that's the good news for Israel. Uh, Russia seems to be less of an existential threat. But the bad news is for every one of these Russian troops that is leaving, they seem to be being replaced by members of the lovely and talented Iranian Republican Guard Corps, which uh, is uh, recognized even by our State Department as a terrorist organization. So uh, things could uh, really uh, heat up even more in the Middle East in that Russia has to sort of play nice with Israel. They don't want to go overboard. They want to cozy up to the Iranians, obviously, keep them happy. But uh, of all the players and actors in that region, Russia was probably the most moderate. Uh, so they're leaving, they're retrenching, if you will, their forces. So that was a, a pretty significant thing uh, indeed. Uh, the other uh, issue uh, that came up just as far as current events go that we wanted to touch on, uh, you know, and, and I think this uh, kind of comes down to uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you know, I have a little feature on our Twitter feed called In the Odyssey Files Under. Uh, it kind of is a uh, homage, if you will. Uh, to a, uh, a feature that they used to have way back in the 70s on a uh, mellow rock station in L.A. called KNX-FM, uh, later called The Wave. And they used to say, in the Odyssey files under, and they'd have this xylophone music and stuff. 
So uh, in uh, the Odyssey files today on A Reason for Hope, this is the first one we've done on A Reason for Hope, uh, we could label this under stay in your lane. Uh, there was a uh, pretty major blow up that happened at the end of last week when MSNBC's Joe Scarborough, who is a former uh, Republican congressman from Florida, part of the original Contract with America crew, left politics, is now uh, hosts a morning show on MSNBC with Mika Brzezinski, a uh, woman uh, that he ended up having an affair with. They both left their spouses and they married each other. So, and this is public record. Uh, Joe Scarborough stirred things up by uh, this particular theological observation that he made uh, on Friday. Jesus, he said, never once talked about abortion. And it was happening back in ancient times. It was happening during his time. Never once mentioned it. For people, now catch this, perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ down to one issue, it is heresy. In other words, what uh, Joe Scarborough, uh, former congressman, talking head on MSNBC, wants us to believe uh, is his uh, theological assessment of, um, of heresy. I guess that would make him an inquisitor, right? Now, heresy just means in broad strokes other than orthodox teaching. So he's saying that if you're presenting the Bible as being pro-life or anti-abortion in any sense, you're twisting, that's what perverse means, the Scripture to meet a political agenda, which is essentially the fire hydrant calling the rose red. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's take this apart. Uh, for our listening audience here, because, you know, we, we see these people first launching and making these kind of declarations. Uh, the first statement, Jesus never once talked about abortion. Now, we've heard this same line of reasoning come up, uh, particularly in the debate about gay marriage and so forth. They said, well, you know, Jesus never spoke uh, about homosexuality. Implicit in that is that silence equals approval. Now, I know you guys usually do your rhetoric and, and your, your logical analysis uh, features on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, but isn't that kind of a problem, even from a logical point of view? Yeah, we don't even have to touch the scriptures. The idea doesn't follow. If someone never said something, that means that they said the opposite. That doesn't follow in any sense of the term. It would be the same line of reasoning as if I was defending myself in a theocratic court of law and saying, well, the Bible never says that felony home invasion in those words is in fact a sin. Therefore, my act in breaking and entering into to your home is in fact approved of in the Bible. You'd all roll your eyes and the judge in whatever bizarre fantasy world I'm conjuring up to illustrate this point would slam the gavel and probably throw it at my head for good measure because I'm being silly. Yeah, you know, it would be almost like to use that same analogy to say, no, Jesus was uh, very much in favor of every uh, uh, professing Christian owning an AR-14 assault rifle uh, because he never said not to. Yeah, the rifle didn't exist back then. Abortion, as it's practiced today, is not, of course, in mind. They wouldn't use that term. They'd use it either passing through the fire, if we're going to use a contemporary 
reference to Jesus's time, the offerings of children alive to Molech, or however they would be exercised. Usually, uh, by the way, as far as Greek culture is concerned, there are any number of gods that allowed for human sacrifice, but the Roman government kind of put a tap on that because it was weird. Yeah, the majority... but, but from a Jewish cultural point of view, was abortion a huge issue during the time of Jesus? It had been since they had returned from exile in Babylon because their practices of it was one of the things, according to the prophet Jeremiah, that got them sent into Babylon for 70 years. Well, but no, we're talking about the time of Jesus. We're talking about a Jewish person who was living in that culture in the time of Jesus. Would they take a look at having children as a bad thing or as a good thing? Again, their view of children was a blessing from the Lord for 900 years up until, and including Jesus' time, uh, the uh, King Solomon, but recognized as a prophet in these observations made in Proverbs, that children are a blessing from the Lord, and blessed is he whose quiver is full of them. Right. As a culture, the more kids you had, the more blessed you were. And if we were to anachronistically is the word, I'll use big terms because I want to be accurate in what I say, but impose modern culture onto a Jewish perspective, particularly a first-century Judean, uh, I, I hesitate to say Palestinian because that would be also anachronistic, but Judean perspective, that would be not only inaccurate, that would be borderline misleading. I would okay, be trying so, to manipulate so, people. So his statement, Jesus never talked about abortion. It was happening back in ancient times, no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Greek and Roman culture, it was common. Yeah, and uh, just to fill out three sentences ago, when I was making a reference to the way it was generally practiced in the Roman Empire is they wouldn't send it down to their local doctor and have them thrown into a blender like they do today. What they would generally do is if an unwanted child from the numerous wives and husbands that were exchanged regularly in the Roman Empire, we can verify this by the historians of Tacitus and so forth, uh, they made the observation that when they didn't want a child, if it wasn't from the type of wife that would produce your limited your legitimate children, they would just leave them outside to be taken uh, away by wild animals. And interestingly enough, the concept of orphanages were invented by Christians living at this time, obviously following the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, by taking in the children that were being left outside to starve or be picked up by animals. Yeah, so it, uh, uh, abortion as we would understand it today, uh, it was a very different thing. Normally, a pregnancy wouldn't be terminated. A child would be brought to term, but just abandoned in Greek and Roman culture. But something like that would never enter the mind of a Jewish person, correct? Absolutely not. So uh, then he says, never once mentioned it. For people perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ down to one issue, it is heresy. Uh, you know, once again, we could take a look at this. And, uh, you know, the fact checkers uh, have like uh, five Pinocchios for something that's just an outright lie. I think we could give this a four in that if what he is saying uh, is that the whole gospel of Jesus Christ is have babies and carry them to term, um, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, if we're going to teach the Bible, obviously, if the topic of the value of lives come up, or if it's brought up on this broadcast, we'll answer it from a scripturally informed perspective, but we would be remiss in neglecting the 
essence of the gospel, that is, as you talked about on Sunday, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, the gospel by which we are saved, verse 3 doesn't go on to say that children should always be brought to term. That will be sorted out through the affirmation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the same God who created those lives, by the way, and gives them intrinsic value, is verified in history by what? That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, for then he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, then by all the apostles, and he was seen over uh, by over 500 brethren at right. one time, some of which, Paul notes this parenthetically in his letter to Corinth, uh, um, remain to the present time, but others have fallen asleep, meaning some of the people who were there to see Jesus alive after his public execution, you can still find them today, most of them. So in the most generous rendering of what Joe Scarborough had to say on this, that uh, if you pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ down to one issue, it's heresy. I don't know any Christian who is proclaiming that in order to be saved, you have to be pro-life. No. But we would say that from a Christian point of view, a few things. First of all, just because Jesus didn't mention something doesn't mean he approved of it. Yeah, I you think, can't I, argue I, the opposite of a teaching because of the absence of a teaching. Yeah, so, you know, we, we've dealt with that. But also, once one becomes a Christian, once one gives their life to Christ, they take a look at what the Bible has to say, for instance, about how Jesus viewed children. How Jesus was viewed as a child pre-utero. Yeah, <laughs> how, in utero. yeah how, uh, how Jesus and John the Baptist really had interaction even before they were born. We see that within the Gospels. We see, for instance, going back to King David's statement, your eyes saw my unformed substance in the days which were ordained for me when there was not yet one of them. From God's point of view, there's no distinction between pre-born and post-born life. So to make an inflammatory statement like uh, those who are being pro-life are heretics or are preaching a distorted view of this, this is another, I think, logical fallacy. It's the straw man argument. Right. You know, who is teaching something like this as the essence of Christianity? Nobody as far as how to be saved is concerned. But once we are saved, one of the signs that we are saved is that we're going to want to pay attention to how God feels about crucial moral issues. Why didn't Jesus deal with the subject of abortion in his day? For the same reason that Jesus never spoke out specifically against, say, bestiality. It was just not even considered it was already addressed in Leviticus 18 yeah, quite but, eloquently. But not even considered an issue that uh, would affect those in his audience. So, you know, when we talk about Jesus not dealing with abortion, you know, well, Jesus didn't deal with a lot of moral ills and uh, conundrums. Or even neutral ones, like, does Jesus address the ownership of an Android phone versus an Apple? Now, yeah. Every Christian should, of course, invest in Samsung as opposed to Apple, but that's another issue. Well, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but the, here's the bottom line, and uh, this is why I'd say it's in the Odyssey file under Stay in Your Lane. Um, if I were to uh, be a guest on Morning Joe with Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, and purport to be an expert on insider politics in Washington, D.C., I would be woofing, right? Yeah. I would be 
trying to present myself definitely outside the area of my expertise. Even if you got something right, it would not be intentional and it would not be because of your informed background. So, um, you know, I remember being asked to uh, be on a uh, program on KCBS TV in LA uh, about, uh, it was called uh, uh, Today's Religion. And uh, the uh, opposite guest uh, was a congressman, uh, uh, Mike Roy, uh, who uh, had put forth a bill called the Good Samaritan Law. And, and in this bill, what he said is, is that if you see somebody hurting by the side of the road, you know, or someone's been in an accident, and you don't render aid to them, you can be punished for that. And, uh, you know, the, the congressman said, oh, yeah, you know, I helped somebody not too long ago, and I never had uh, a better feeling. And, uh, you know, the host said, well, then what do you think about this? And I said, well, you know, first of all, uh, you know, when people say you can't legislate morality, uh, all law, in a sense, is legislated morality. But what law can't do is force you to do the right thing. It can only sanction you if you choose to do the wrong thing. You know, for instance, if this particular bill I said got passed, um, you know, who's to say that another bill when it be passed saying, you know, if you don't uh, buy your wife flowers on her anniversary, we're going to fine you. Because everybody knows that's a nice thing to do. And you really should do that. So the government's going to step in and fine you. Can you see a problem with that? Well, if we pass a law like this, uh, people are, might change their behavior because they're worried about a fine or punishment. But they're not going to be doing it from the heart. You know, the, the point of view that I would have is rather than passing a law that says you must go ahead and render aid whenever you see somebody hurting or you're going to be punished for it, I said I could see maybe putting into law some protections for people that do help others and then end up getting sued because maybe they didn't do everything correctly in trying to render aid. I could see that. But for you to put forth a law that says you must do good to your neighbor uh, is really doing something with the law that the law can't do. Only a right relationship with God can do that. And the host started getting upset. He goes, well, pastor, that's your bailiwick, you know? And I said, well, of course it is. I'm a pastor. Why would you have me on the program if you didn't want me to talk about the spiritual implications of all of this? Or like, social, for that matter. Like, uh, so, you know, the, the, the bottom line is this. You know, when we address these kind of issues in the public sphere, we've got to stay in our lane. You know, one of the first things that I will tell people on this program is this. Look, um, this is a program that is based upon the Bible. You know, some people have criticized our broadcast by saying, well, all you do is talk about the Bible. Can't you think for yourself? Well, you know, I guess we could have a program called uh, Scott and Sean's Takes, and we could opine about the events of the day and give you our two cents worth about that. But as they say, that and $5 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. You know, if, your Starbucks? if our conviction is this, that the Bible is the Word of God, that God has spoken to us through His Word, that God has revealed to us how to have a relationship with Him through faith in Jesus Christ, and that through the Word of God, we not only discover how that impacts us spiritually, but in every area of life as well. And so we stay 
in our lane. Every once in a while, someone will come up to me after service, and they will say, you know, uh, Pastor, uh, you know, I've got this financial situation going on, or this thing happening in real estate, and I really need your take on that. And I look at them and go, no, you don't. Uh, And they kind of look at me funny, and I said, well, you know, I can talk to you about the Bible, what the Bible has to say about your life. That's my area of expertise. But if you're going to come to me for legal advice or business advice or anything else, um, you know, if uh, Jed Fish, the football coach at the U of A, came to me and said, uh, you know, what did you think about our, uh, our offense in the last game? What changed me? I'd say, well, I don't know. I'm not a coach. The, the point is you got to stay in your lane. And it is so funny to me how almost every person that you will run into in this world uh, believes that, uh, and I don't know if you check it off in your driver's license or not, but uh, along with getting your driver's license or your personal ID, you can check expert on religious event uh, issues, expert uh, on scripture, you know, because everybody thinks they're kind of an expert. Well, that's why you have these kind of half-baked takes going out on a major network, because people don't take the time to really research these things. They don't take the time to get out of their personal bubble. They don't ask experts, if you will, uh, about a inflammatory statement they might make like this before they make it. And, you know, the other thing that I would just add uh, to kind of wrap that up is is this. You know, if you're going to drop the H-bomb and refer to something as heresy, you better, you better really have your ducks in a row as to why this is heresy. Why? Because Jesus said at Judgment Day, we will give an account for every idle word we've spoken. And the minute we start speaking in the name of God and saying, this is truth, this is heresy, we'd better have chapter and verse because someday we will give an account for that. And uh, I hope Joe Scarborough and uh, his new wife, Mika, Brzezinski come to a relationship with Jesus and uh, I hope that uh, they begin to understand what the word of God has to say about their lives and um, experience his blessing and uh, as, as a result and maybe reconcile with their spouses but that's another issue uh, going out to our comment sections we got a I don't know how to pronounce this so I'll just note the username on YouTube but uh, the question is who are the elect in scripture they specifically want to reference Matthew 24:24 24, 24, where he'll gather together the elect from the four winds right. it's just a reference to everywhere but when we're talking about terms in scripture obviously Matthew 24 is in the dead set middle of a not necessarily parable but an overview of the end times which interestingly enough includes final judgment. And obviously in this broad stroke summary, he uses terms that to his audience, uh, I guess, included the assumption they knew what he was talking about. Right. We who don't share that benefit should do basically the first thing you should always do when it comes to handling terms in Scripture. The first thing is to ask, where else has that term been used, and perhaps given in more detail? And as far as the elect as a term in application, uh, obviously 1 Peter chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 1 are both great places to start. So notice we're not treating the Bible as one book and looking at later chapters. The Bible is a collection of 66 books that are all verifying each other within their proper context. So if we look to the letters of Paul to understand the letters of Jesus, or the uh, 
Gospels of Jesus, we're obviously not dodging the issue. We're asking within the same circle of people who not only knew the culture, but also the terminology that Jesus was, if there was an instance where they used and defined that term, then in other instances where it's not defined, we could use that with the rope that we have. Right. So Ephesians 1 will be where I'll start, and then we'll plug it into Matthew 24 and see how far we get. This is how Paul defines election. This is Ephesians 1 and verse 3, speaking to Christians, by the way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us. Now, full stop here, because this is how the New King James translation renders this. Elect, as it's rendered in most translations, of course, is an English word. When it's translated from the Greek or the Hebrew, depending on where you're looking it up, when Peter uses it in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, God who, according to his foreknowledge, has elected us. Notice, yeah, verse 2, yeah. What does that word also translate to? What does the word election mean? Well, uh, in essence, it means those who are chosen, chosen. those who are selected, by God. When we have an election, what do we do? We select a person for a particular office. We choose one over the other. Right? So this is just starting with the dictionary, the individual who left the YouTube uh, question. So follow the reasoning, chosen, or he chose us. That would be the point where elect is brought up. In him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption... By son, as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted right. in the beloved. Now, I know those of you who've taken like English courses and stuff, it's like, that's a long run-on sentence. He had a lot to tack into that term, our relationship with God according to election. Then we jump again over to how that term is also used in First Peter chapter 1. It follows the same note, but very much condensed. This is verse 2, uh, speaking to the Christians, the those who are saved throughout the diaspora, that is, the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. These are regions in what we know today as ancient Rome. But note, the elect, Roman Empire, yeah. Yeah, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So in this overview of the Trinity's roles in salvation, he refers to those who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire as elect. Now, how do we apply elect? Well, Paul gave us, contemporary with the Apostle Peter, and by the way, in Second Peter chapter 3, he notes Paul's words are scripture, so yeah. take that at face value as well. He defines it as, first, foreknown by God as going to be not only glorified according to the image of his son, but sanctified, cleansed and set apart for a new purpose, to be adopted into his forever family. Essentially what the term election means, or chosen means, is dovetailing into a statement Jesus made where, speaking to his apostles at the Last Supper, right. said, you did not choose me, but I chose you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Right. So what's interesting about this... John 15, 16. Yeah, this uh, interesting term is it's dovetailed with this idea of us being saved, but from God's perspective. That from an eternal perspective, he not only knows the end from the beginning, 
but our end from our right. beginning. Right. That the moment we started trusting Jesus, God wasn't surprised. Thus, choosing us. Yeah. Now, the concern people get, and this is where Matthew 24, 24 comes in, is does this apply to those who never made a choice? Does it apply to those who have made a choice? Or is it both, or is it neither? And that's where scriptural application is key. Yeah, you know, and, and when Jesus uses this term uh, in Matthew chapter 24, where it gets confusing for some people, is that it kind of dovetails into the argument about a pre-mid or post-tribulation rapture. Uh, are believers going to go through the tribulation period? Uh, because in verse 29 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of these days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Now, where this gets confusing, and maybe this is the nub of your issue, if it's not, please uh, use uh, the uh, uh, YouTube uh, comment uh, section to, to clarify uh, where we need to go. But where people uh, get confused about this, they say, well, wait a minute, you know, in the passages that you cited, like Ephesians and in First Peter and in First Timothy, and, you know, God's people others, are, yeah. are referred to as the elect, the chosen. Uh, well, you know, here we see the elect are here on earth when Jesus returns and the angels gather them together. Does that mean that the church is going to be there when Jesus comes back again? Well, not necessarily. Uh, because when we see the Bible use the word elect, it literally means anybody that God has chosen to be his own. So Anyone for example, that God has reached. Now, are there going to be people that are going to be reached during the final seven years that lead up to the tribulation from the time of the rapture, the time the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel till that, that moment that Jesus returns? Are there going to be any individuals that are going to actually be saved during this time. Yeah, and again, you have to make a few assumptions there. We're addressing the question as it is, but let us know if you need clarification on if we believe the pre-trib rapture, if yeah, we yeah, believe yeah, yeah. the yeah. tribulation is going to be formatted this way, we'll clarify those as well. But the concern people have is when they look at Revelation 7 and note that people from every tribe, tongue, and language will be drawn together, interestingly enough, right after Israel is sealed for God's purposes during this time period. Yeah, the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah, And the Apostle John uh, is asked by one of the elders who's worshiping before the throne of God, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And John's like, I just got here. You, yeah. you, you, you know. <laughs> and he says, these are those which come out of the great tribulation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God definition of heaven, so note that point. There will be people who are going through the tribulation that will come to salvation, but they're made distinct from the church. And the reason I would come to that conclusion, and this is what's going to be key in being consistent here, is if the, the argument is, well, the term elect is only ever used to apply to those who are in the church. So why then well, do you... And, well, and that's, yeah, yeah, and, we, that's and, we, and we can refute that right off the bad in Isaiah 65, uh, for instance, in verse 9, God says, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah and Aaron on my mountains. My elect 
shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Well, and in Isaiah's parlance, who's the elect? That would be faithful Israel. Yeah, right. and note, if you're going to say, well, that's a prophecy speaking of the church. Okay, let's go back to Deuteronomy 7, when God says that you are a special people chosen. Yeah. <laughs> what, again, is the word? We're being consistent. Could you, and this is the argument, could you find a use of elect that applies outside of Scripture, or the Scriptures referencing the church, to broader audiences? And the answer, of course, as you stated, yeah. Isaiah, Deuteronomy, and plenty of others, is yes, it can apply to Israel, it can apply to anyone in a relationship with God, and that's not exclusive to us. Yeah, and so, I guess to get down to the nub of the issue here, uh, the who are the elect then in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 31? Well, they're going to be the individuals that are going to be here on earth at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus returns again. Well, Jesus is returning to one geographic location when he comes back again. We are even told where that's going to be, the city of the little hamlet of Bethany on uh, the uh, far east side of the Mount of Olives. And that's prophesied in the book of Zechariah chapter 12, I believe. Yeah, and so... Uh, we know that it, that Jesus is coming back to Israel, but there are going to be people that have come to the, know the Lord, as we saw in Revelation chapter 7, from every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe. And specified as those who come out of the Great Tribulation. So you've got people all over the world at that point that have come to know the Lord. You know, the, the world is on the edge of destroying itself. Jesus comes back, defeats the armies of the Antichrist, begins to set up his kingdom, well, what does the king do? He brings his subjects to him in one place. That is why these angels are going to be dispatched and are going to bring his elect to, uh, to uh, Jerusalem to be with him there. Now, does that mean just Jewish people? Can it mean Gentile people? Well, it obviously means Jewish people, uh, because we are told that uh, when Jesus comes back again, his people are going to look upon him, and they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Uh, they're going to see Jesus, and they're going to look upon me, and they pierced, and, uh, and they're going to have that experience. So Jewish people will be gathered there, and Gentile people will be gathered there. That's why he doesn't just say here in Matthew 24 and verse 31, uh, I'm going to gather my Jewish people from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. It's no, everybody that has faith in me, even in those extreme circumstances, is going to be brought there to be with Jesus when he returns. Not just the people who are in Israel, but someone who's in Mongolia, if you will, are going to be brought to him. Someone's in the United States, they're going to be brought to him because the Lord is going to want to see his people when he returns. And he is going to go through a process, interestingly enough, described in Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 31 and following, where he is going to do a judgment of all who survive to see him actually return. Some are going to be able to enter into the kingdom, come blessed of my Father, the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the earth. Some who didn't put their faith in Jesus but survived, even the battle of Armageddon and, and so forth, Jesus is going to exclude from the kingdom at that point. But everybody is going to be gathered there at that place for the initiation of Jesus' kingdom. That's what the scripture seems to indicate there. 
So just to recap everything, first we start with the dictionary term. If you see elect or chosen, note they're referring to the same thing. In the context, it's applied in Ephesians 1, 1 Peter, Timothy, and others, that it is in reference to, from God's perspective, those who have a saving relationship with him. The argument, as far as its application to the end times, Matthew 24, 24, is that this puts the church in the tribulation, or at least at the end of the tribulation, when the judgment, the transition into the millennium, is going to take place. And, of course, then they would say, so why then do you affirm a pre-tribulation rapture? The church is going to be on the earth at the time of the end of the tribulation. Then we would say, because you're presupposing that elect only applies to the church, it's used in the Old Testament in reference to Israel as well. And if you make, again, the assumption, well, that's a prophecy of the Church. Now you're making assumptions without being able to support that. So here's the point. When it comes to the handling of these texts, understand the word, just English, (laughs) whatever language you're reading it in. Understand its application and definition in Scripture, and then, and only then, you can start plugging in numbers and letters and say, does this lead me into the loony bin, or does this lead me into a sound handling of the passage? I, again, have a bias. You have a bias. Let's just make sure our biases are informed rather than, uh, I guess, just solidified from my emotions. Yeah. Hey, speaking of the loony bin, uh, maybe I'm putting my cards on the table here. Uh, Before uh, Airtime got a question, uh, Pastor Scott and Sean, what do you think about holy laughter? Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the holy laughter phenomena uh, has been associated with some of these so-called revivals that have gone on lately, uh, particularly the Toronto Blessing, as it was called, Brownsville Revival, saw some of this. Uh, some of the more extreme forms of these kind of revivals uh, describe people being tossed about, uh, people uh, barking like dogs and clucking like chickens because uh, let everything hath breath, uh, praise the Lord. But holy laughter was one of them, that people would just start laughing hysterically and uh, you know, literally fall over at that time. They would say that this is a move of the Holy Spirit. Well, um, there's some problems with that. First of all, when the Bible talks about the movement of the Holy Spirit among God's people, it's pretty explicit about what to expect. Uh, when people say, well, this is a new move of God's Spirit, or you don't really see this in the Word of God, first of all, if they say that to you, you don't want to be a part of it anyway. Secondly, when we talk about uh, the, the manifestation of this kind of um, laughing and, uh, and uh, uncontrollable behavior, uh, it runs into some problems uh, regarding how the Holy Spirit ministers to. I've talked to some people that have been in some of these revival things and said, oh, you just couldn't help it. The Holy Spirit came upon you. You, you couldn't resist it. Well, uh, the, the problem is this. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that all the Holy Spirit uses us He doesn't just say, uh, overcome us in sort of a positive form of possession. We are told, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And by the way, that doesn't mean if you find something uh, confusing, that means it's not of God. No, it's saying that the spirit of God is not going to cause confusion. Right. 
He hasn't given us that kind. And, and so if something happens and the fruit that comes out of it is people are like, what in the world is going on here? Uh, and they say, oh, well, you just have to experience it. Well, you know, another scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 talks about even good gifts of the Holy Spirit being used in inappropriate ways and, and says that if you all come together in one place and you all speak in tongues, will not the one who occupies the place of the uninformed or the unbeliever say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy uh, and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down in his face, he will worship God, report that God is truly among you. Now that's the ideal as opposed to what he was warning you about. Right. Don't let them conclude that you guys are out of your mind. Let him worship God as a result of his encounter there. So if you walk into a room and everybody is just uh, rolling on the floor laughing uncontrollably, you're going to say these people kind of spit the bit a little bit. The other thing that we need to understand is this. When these kind of manifestations take place, consistently people will say, I couldn't help it. It just came over me. Uh, you know, I was just overcome. Uh, I just had to start clucking like a chicken or barking like a dog or laughing uncontrollably. Well, once again, we need to check such claims according to what the Word of God says. And in Galatians chapter 5, we are told that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and what? Self-control. Self-control. So any move of the Holy Spirit is not going to be one that causes us just to be overwhelmed or emotionally fried or, or just beside ourselves. It's going to be something that lines up with the Word of God. Um, don't get me wrong. We're told in Proverbs that a merry heart does good like medicine. Uh, you know, but a bitter heart breaks the bones. Uh, that, I think, is a, uh, is a blessing from the Lord. We are told that Jesus himself, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, was uh, anointed by God with the oil of joy more than his companions. Uh, Jesus was one of the most joyful people you'll ever be around. In fact, one of the criticisms of Jesus was that uh, he was uh, a friend of uh, wine drinkers and sinners, you always uh, find him at the party. Yeah, so, you know, I don't think, you know, you would invite Mr. Sobersides with a scowl on his face who, you know, has the expression, if you smile, your face is going to break, to be at gatherings like this. So Jesus experienced joy, but not out of control, maniacal kind of joy. Uh, you know, we have to check these things out according to the Word of God. So, you know, if someone comes to you about anything, the so-called latest and greatest manifestation of the Spirit, uh, one of the later ones we heard about was gold descending from the ceilings or people's silver fillings turning to gold or things like this. Um, You know, okay, but where is that in the Word of God? And if you can't show specific chapter and verse, about uh, the fact that we can anticipate these things, that we can judge these things according to the standard of Scripture, then we really don't need it. Now, notice this doesn't mean that God doesn't move in miraculous ways in our day and age. It doesn't mean that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today, but it does mean that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, are always going to be done in the character of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not out of control, and the Holy Spirit doesn't do maniacal things.
Yeah, I don't know to further details for the sake of time, but um, got a question as well from Isaiah. Ironically enough, because your question is from that book, uh, what are guardian angels? Do they help us? Uh, and, uh, you know, we have angels among us, and he makes a reference to the film series Touched by an Angel. So it knows it's just a movie. Good. Yeah. But does God use angels in this manner? Thanks. Yeah, uh, Isaiah, when we talk about guardian angels, obviously there's a direct reference to it in Hebrews chapter 1, the very end of the chapter where it notes, are not they all ministering spirits sent to accompany those, uh, accompany those for those who would inherit salvation? Now, for is also in that sentence structure basically an offhand reference to with, that they're joining in the same common purpose. Right. Now, if we make our spiritual goal or our metric for spiritual activity is an angel a part of it, we're making the same mistake that the Apostle John did twice, by the way, in Revelation 19 and in 20, because or 21 rather, because when we mistake an angel, the word literally means messenger, for the source of the message, it's about as silly as, you know, uh, undulating and thanking the uh, sweepstakes for the person who just came to hand you the check. It's not from their personal bank account, their representative. Yeah, hugging the FedEx guy who hands you the note that you won the publisher's clearinghouse uh, like he had something to do with it. Yeah, Yeah. and again, it's always nice to thank your delivery guy, but it's not appropriate if we're talking about spiritual journeys. Now, again, we can talk about stories of people who have had angelic encounters, but all of those that could be verified, that are legitimate, and that they are there, First of all, they didn't draw attention to themselves. They were only there insofar as what was being accomplished would ultimately be in line with God's Word, and I'll give you an example here in a second. It'll be Mm -hmm. brief. But when we're talking about these issues, that's the metric. Is um, Billy Graham made a book about it, uh, God's Secret Agents, and they're making that point of emphasis with Scripture in mind, that they're not going to draw attention to themselves, they're there to fulfill the same purpose we are fulfilling. And an example of this in action, you can use this as a metric in your own mind, Isaiah. Uh, good uh, brother in the Lord, a fantastic evangelist by the name of Jay Smith, he was uh, at Speaker's Corner in London, England, oh, yeah. where he was uh, speaking to <laughs> a crowd. kind of on the line, yeah. Yeah, this was before, actually, the reason why they introduced ladders for those who would be doing speaking, because the police needed to know who was being knocked over and beaten up, and who was just among the crowd of hecklers, which are always there. Yeah. Uh, he was speaking, and obviously grew up in the Himalayan continent, so he's got these massive lungs, he can outshout everybody, and he's uh, got a a bit of a Santa Claus-like build as well, so a lot of a lot of booming characteristics there. Yep. But he was talking to Muslims about the things they hate to talk about, their own sources, and they started to beat him up. And I mean, like to the point where it was like down like Detroit beating them up. And the he said that this big black guy came just laid on top of his body. That was all that he did. And absorbed the blows for a time period, let Jay, you know, gather his faculties, get his glasses back. Then the guy, he said, picked him up and just guided him out of the park and said, it's time to go. And that was his only interaction with him. And so when he's, you know, obviously the stars have faded and everything. He looked around, he couldn't find the guy who had helped him get out of that jam. He wanted to say thank you, maybe bring him out for tea or something, but he had just disappeared. And upon later reflection, he told his wife about the experience. He brought it before his fellow Christians, and they were praying about this. It's like, I think you had an angelic encounter. Yeah. Now, what's interesting was the whole point of the experience wasn't, uh, you know, 
full-on Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He blinded the Muslims and uh, yeah. started declaring the glory of God to finish Jay's sentences. Jay had put himself in a position where he was doing what? Contending earnestly for the faith, right. proclaiming the gospel to those who were hostile to it. Right. When his life was on the line, but note this, it wasn't his time to go yet. He's still speaking at our Strong Tower conference last weekend. He was given protection. The angel was there for, to accompany with right. those who administer salvation. That's where we can judge a line and say, I think that was an angel. Now note, angels aren't just the spiritual entities that we would associate with the heavenly realm. Angels, anyone who comes to you with the Word of God. We've seen the book of Revelation, it being applied to the pastors who oversee the churches, right. those who are mes- uh, communicating the message of the gospel. So don't get uh, too mixed in the mythology that touched by an angel would say, you know, you physically die, then you're in an angel, and then when you get your wings, then you can, like, go to heaven and stuff, but you're on this earth to do good stuff. Not in the slightest what angels are about in Scripture. Yeah. We need to make sure that that's biblically informed. But if an angel, and they can, but if an angel is going to accompany you, it's going to be as you're doing the work God's called you to. So... You want to encounter an angel? Uh, odds are, and again, this is also mentioned, uh, some of us have entertained angels unaware, so most of the time we would never notice, and Jay was too busy being kicked in the grill to notice as well. He was just thankful a guy had come along to help him out. Right. The point being made is when you hear these stories like, oh, I picked up a hitchhiker, and he says, you know, Jesus is coming soon, hogwash. Just make sure that yeah, we're that's talking. Yeah, that's an urban legend, by the way, and uh, one of the reasons we know that is because there are variations where that uh, angel that gets picked up uh, hitchhiking, quote-unquote, uh, will say things like, uh, in a Christian sense, Jesus is coming soon. In other uh, mutations, they'll say, yes, you really need to be reading your watchtowers right now. Uh, others, uh, boy, the Book of Mormon is really where it's at. You really need to read that, and then they vanish. And so. the whole point as to why we'd say that's myth is because even if it was based on a true event, the message has been completely lost, and it's yeah. being used to promote lies as much as truth. The angel's going to accompany those who are ministering the gospel. Put right. yourself in that position. You might uh, have already encountered more angels than you realize. Just make sure that it's your true. focus isn't on them. It's on the one you're serving, because that's their perspective as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the best way to be on an angel's good side there. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this broadcast. Man, Sean, this broadcast just ripped on by. It is a blessing and a privilege to be able to meet with you each and every day. Keep praying for the program. Keep participating. If you're blessed by the broadcast, let others know. We'll be back tomorrow for more of your questions on God's Word. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.